And welcome to another episode of the Toy Review Podcast by Webster Style, where we talk about bow ties, comic books, and everything in between. I'm your host, Webster Style, the man, the voice, the fragrance. Coming back one more time, and of course, let's jump right in to the download. Now, this is a download that I is very unexpected. Unexpectedly, a game that I have come to really enjoy playing, particularly because it checks all of my normal boxes for really loving a game. And this game is Windjammers 2. And I say all the boxes for the gamer that I am now. I think that I probably wouldn't have loved this game 20 years ago, more or less liked this game. But this version of me, this gamer, loves it. And this is a game that is developed and published by Datamoo. Now, Datamoo are the ones who resurrected Streets of Rage with Sega last year, and I absolutely loved that game. Then this game very much mimics a lot of the art styling that they use for Streets of Rage 4. This game actually is a sequel to a 1994 Neo Geo arcade game that was originally developed and published by Data East. Now, those of you that are of a certain age, you know the games that Data East published back in the day, especially with the Nintendo era. We're talking about uh, Ring Kings. We're talking about Bad Dudes. There's so many great Data East games that are very much a part of uh, my age group's video game childhood. So I'm, I'm very excited just from that. And it also it looked just to be a very cool and simple game and the best way i can describe it is it's almost like air hockey meets frisbee so essentially it's it's like a glorified version of of pong you're playing as two opposing players on various uh stages junkyard arena beach i think there are about 10 different stages to choose from and i I want to say about eight to ten different players of varying speeds and strengths. And you're essentially trying to get it into the opposing goals, opposing players' goal, um, and score at least, I believe, it's 15 points to win a match. And it changes, or I should say, the number of points that are scored uh, from a goal depends on um, how it's gotten into the goal, whether there's certain areas of the arena where you bounce it off of into the goal is five points, others three. There's also a mechanic which gets someone used to, you have to get used to, in my opinion, where uh, the frisbee is tossed back at you and you have to position yourself to catch it. And if you don't, there's an automatic two points for the opposing player who threw it. And then it goes back to them. But it is very much a very quick in and out sort of game. And again, if you listen to this podcast, you know time is limited as a fully functioning adult with dependence. So my gaming time is limited. So something I can get in and get out of it is really, really good. Especially it's super duper fun, super duper easy to really pick up. And it has really excellent features. Um, online play, which is really awesome. Arcade mode, which I really play a lot. And a whole ton of unlockables. And it's a relatively inexpensive experience for just $19.99. It's, um, I'm not sure if there's cross-play between uh, various consoles because it was released on the uh, PlayStation consoles, the Switch, uh, Steam, as well as, of course, the Xbox. And in this case, it's also currently 
on or a part of Xbox Game Pass. So if you're a subscriber, you can download and play it uh, today. And with that, you can also get uh, that game at a discounted price. So normally it's $19.99 on all the other platforms. With the Xbox Gold, excuse me, Xbox Live discount you are going to get it for $14.99 so that is my recommendation for this week and the download win jammers 2 trust me if you're looking for the just great nostalgic arcade fun you cannot go wrong with this one the next up on our plate is the podcast spotlight and we're going to keep it very much in that blurred geek room when talking about otaku life now this podcast is a podcast that's hosted by cage and he pretty much talks about anything nerdy with a specialization in anime of course i would expect that with a podcast by the name of otaku life but cage really does a great job of not just really talking about anime and sort of blur culture but also having really uh, innovative and fantastic guests on to talk about their various endeavors in the realm and i forget the name of the uh organization that was on the last podcast i listened to where they do a various amount of events uh where people cosplay have a go-karts they have parties and i've really i'll put the link in the show notes because i actually follow them on instagram and just can't remember at the moment what the name of the organization is but just having those sort of assorted individuals in the blurred realm really come talk about their passions their lives and how the uh, their fandoms really influence what they do and bring joy to their lives are really or is really a great experience as a listener to listen to. So that is my podcast spotlight recommendation this week, Otaku Life, and that is again hosted by the man Cage. Now let's talk about some short takes. Now at the time of this recording, we are going to have very shortly come up a very welcome and surprising revelation that I feel like I knew this was happening, but apparently I didn't because when it came across my radar last week, I was shocked and excited. In this case, we are having a full-blown anime adaptation of the vaunted, classic, um, infamous Sega series Shinmu. And that series is actually debuting on Crunchyroll and Adult Swim on February 5th. And this series travels with Ryo Hazuki through the events of, I'm assuming, Shinmu 1 and Shinmu 2 based on the uh, synopsis of the anime series. And if you're not familiar with Shinmu, it really chronicles your traveling as a young man. I believe Ryo is 16 or 17 at the start of Shinmu 1 and his father is killed in the family dojo by the mysterious Landi, and Landi steals the Phoenix Mirror from his father. So this sets him on a, an adventure, um, I would say in revenge, but at least to uh, uncover the mysteries of who Landi is, why his father is killed, what is this mysterious mirror. All the while, he has odd jobs and fights through uh, underground organizations to find the truth about everything that's happened. So I'm very excited. I've always been very high on the original Shinmu games. I recently rebought them for my Xbox One because they were on sale and I will play through them again because I just think that they are great games. Yes, I do have an issue with all the QTEs even 20 years later, 
but that is life and that's the game and I still love it regardless. So that's my first short take, Shinmu the animation. It looks great, the anime looks great, not like that Blade Runner series that a Crunchyroll and uh, Adult Swim partnered on a while ago. Uh, that looks like some trash to me, but Shinimu looks really great, and I'll be looking forward to that. Next up, we get our final trailer, well, maybe final trailer, for Picard Season 2. I will say, if you've been around for a while, you know that I wasn't that high on Picard Season 1, and I am a humongous Star Trek Next Generation, right? Just a humongous, humongous Star Trek fan uh, to begin with, but Next Generation, it, it's, it was my Star Trek. It was the first Star Trek I could call my own after watching uh, TOS as a younger child before Next Generation came on. So that is the Star Trek I can say I really grew up with. And Picard always seemed like it would be a wonderful natural extension until I watched that first season. It had some high notes, did some things really good. But overall, I just think Picard season one just really fell into the traps that so many modern sci-fi series really fall into nowadays. So when I saw the trailer for season two, my hopes are a bit high maybe a bit too high considering my opinion of season one but it seemed like there may be some redemption of the character and just the overall storytelling and honestly i've never seen a bad story featuring q played by john delance and also they bring back guinan so i'm looking forward to that as well and that debuts on march 3rd so it's a uh, not too far away and it actually debuts before my paramount plus subscription expires so i think paramount knows exactly what they're doing when it comes to getting my money then the last short take is fistful of vengeance now this is a, a trailer and this is coming out on netflix that i saw and i noticed that all of the main actors were from the Netflix series Wu Assassins, which never came back. Upon doing some research, Wu Assassins, it is. It's more or less a final or a follow-up Wu Assassins movie. So if you are like me who watched Wu Assassins and enjoyed it, it wasn't exactly the greatest martial arts show on Netflix, but it had some really good potential. Uh, starred the guy from The Raid, also starred that guy that was in uh, Mortal Kombat, that new character they made up, I forget his name. So there's a lot of uh, credible martial arts talent um, in that movie. So I expect nothing less but really spectacular fight scenes but the Wu Assassin series had a lot of holes in it when it came to its storytelling so I'm hoping that uh, with a movie adaptation or at least continuation that there aren't as many holes in the lore of Wu Assassins they're able to kind of trim the fat so to speak and really give us spectacular fight scenes so that looks really cool and I'm looking forward to that and that movie comes out on February the 17th now let's get into our review so last week I talked about the first episode of Naomi and if you listen to last week's episode, you can tell I wasn't impressed. So I thought, okay, maybe it'll get better by the second episode. No, no, it didn't get better by the second episode. This, this is, there are many more issues that I have with Naomi after watching the second episode. I still take nothing away from the way that the series is done. I think the actors and actresses and um, the actors involved, plural, genderless, do a very good job with the material they've given. I also like the way it's filmed as well it's just the story itself is so generic and i think that's what it is i love the homage to Dwayne mcduffie and i understand that's carried over from the comics as well but the story itself is so generic 
it, there is oh man it's you could put anybody well let me phrase that it's so generic that Naomi could be any color any gender it wouldn't matter which is I love about that but also I think is a detractor because there's nothing about Naomi's character outside of her being African-American that makes her say different from anybody else. And that's one of the things I really dislike about um, just characters in general. If you're making them uh, a ethnic minority, at least as far as United States census data is concerned, why not have that part of it be part of their character in some way, shape, or form? And maybe they get to that. I don't know. But it's such a generic Series, And I think that is what, in such a generic story, and that's what really uh, bores me about it. It's it's nothing new. It's nothing special. Um, her being an African-American uh, really seems like much more of a, a novelty than an actual part of the character and who she is. And again, as of right now, that may change as the story goes along. But there's nothing there that makes her special. And that's what really bores me. There's, the, the, compel, the character is not compelling. And again, all of the things that I may find interesting about her, I would really have to be a lot younger person to really get with the teen angst and, and everything. And yeah, it's, it is definitely not a show for me. I've given it two episodes. You won't be hearing about it anymore on this podcast because I will not be watching it anymore. But if you've been watching Naomi and you like the show, let me know. Drop me an email. Drop me a message or comment on Instagram or Twitter. Let me know what you think of it. And let me know if you think I'm wrong. All right. And that's my take on Naomi. We're going to take a break and then come back. Actually, no, let's not take a break. Let's go into the long box. Now, the long box is one that this is one. This is, in my opinion, a classic, one of the seminal classics from that 80s line of, of Marvel books. Uh, during that time, we saw a lot of different uh, ways of storytelling within these books. And many people always talk about the uh, G.I. Joe issue, G.I. Joe number 21, the silent issue with Snake Eyes, and just how that was such an amazing feat of storytelling uh, with pretty much no words spoken throughout the whole book. Well, I would argue that Alpha Flight number six from the first one of Alpha Flight written and art by John Byrne is right up with there with the storytelling. Now, in this story, um, Snowbird, a member of Alpha Flight, comes across the beast Colomag during a um, at an oil rig out in Canada. Colomag uses the elements to basically envelop Snowbird in this blizzard. So everything is white out. So the whole story is called Snowblind. But you see the panel work of, of Burn, not just the panel work, but the story, because most of the panels are white except for Snowbird and her ordeal trying to battle this creature, not being able to see this creature and not being able to see anything else. And the way the story is told with barely anything on each panel is nothing short of a masterstroke when it comes to comic book writing. Um, I Like I said, it excels as an example of how the comics medium is a great place 
or great way to tell engaging stories. Even if this is a one-off issue and it wasn't like this was part of an overall storyline, this is a one and done. You can get into this issue, read it, and never pick up another book of Alpha Flight again because it's not connected to anything. Um, and again, John Byrne, who is very much known for his run on X-Men during that time, as well as all the other series that he's worked on, uh, his reinvention of Superman. I, he's had an illustrious career where he has pumped out hit after hit after hit. And I think this Alpha Flight run is very much overlooked when people talk about his portfolio of his impact on comics, at least in my opinion, because I never hear anyone talk about his run in Alpha Flight. He established Alpha Flight as that as that book, as that uh, Canadian superhero team before there really was not and really got a chance to flesh them out doing his run on the book when it first started. So so that's my take on on Alpha Flight Volume 1. It's one of those things where you can find that on the Marvel Unlimited app. I think it's on Comicsology. I'm not sure. But if you're looking for a physical issue, it's not one that goes for a lot of money. Um, I recently purchased it, I think, from my local comic shop for like three bucks. And it's a book that I'm sure is in the vast amounts of, of comics that, oh, I know it is. If they're still there back in, back in my, my home, my uh, childhood home, I should say. Uh, yes, a lot of my books are still there even after all these years. But uh, it's something that if you want to read, you can find it very inexpensively. And you will not be disappointed with what you read and how excellent the issue is. So that is our the long box. Let's get into the hidden gems. We're going to keep this comic book themed uh, with Swamp Thing from 1982 and what really sparked my uh, not interest but sparked me wanting to talk about this outside of the plant themed uh, hidden gem last week of Day of the Triffids I saw recently a lot of people talking about the uh, how good the Swamp Thing series that came out a year or two ago was and how no one talks about it. Well, this got me thinking about the original Swamp Thing movie from 1982 starring Dan Durock or Dirk Durock, I forget the stuntman's name, but he did Swamp Thing and Swamp Thing 1, Swamp Thing 2, and the Swamp Thing series that was on the USA Network in the early 90s, I want to say. So he played Swamp Thing for a long time. Also, that voice was very distinctive. He did the voice of Swamp Thing in the animated series as well that was that debuted in the eight ladies, late 80s, early 90s as well. Well, Swamp Thing, the original, was very much a camp horror movie and it's directed by none other than Wes Craven. Wes Craven, yes, directed a quote-unquote comic book movie in 1982, uh, really in the midst. I think that's that's definitely before Nightmare on Elm Street, but I also believe that is a little after Last House on the Left. Uh, so, you know, two interesting movies to book in Swamp Thing when it comes to Wes Craven's career, but it also starred uh, everybody's... Uh, 80s horror movie wet dream at the time adrian barbeau and it was it's a great movie to, it's a bit cheesy now and a bit campy but it's a fun movie to watch uh it really tries to be more of the fulfill more of the horror aspect for 1982 uh, sort of themes and motifs, but still trying to retain that lightheartedness that Swamp Thing really uh, started to embody, at least with the 
multimedia side of the character which really started in 82 with Swamp Thing and then its sequel and I believe that was 88 uh, which thought Heather Lockley really embraced that sort of campy comedy um, aspect which the movie series well Swamp Thing became known for in television thereafter with the USA series so I recommend this. I believe at the current time it's streaming on Tubi and they probably have it on YouTube as well. If you've never seen the 1982 Swamp Thing and you just love comics in general, take a look. Tell me what you think. I'm pretty sure you enjoy it for what it is. It is not the best movie ever in life. I will say that. But it is a fun, enjoyable romp, especially if you love comics and especially if you enjoy Swamp Thing. And again, if you're a horror fan like myself, you'll pretty much much watch anything that Wes Craven directed even the bad stuff like that werewolf movie which I literally put out of my head um, that one wasn't that great but anyway that's the hidden gem for the week Swamp Thing it's on Tubi and YouTube for free um, I wouldn't be surprised if it was on HBO Max either so just check it out but definitely on Tubi at the time of this recording now we're going to take a break and when I get back i got something special for you fellas with Valentine's Day coming up and we're back from the break now. This is something I was thinking about, especially with Valentine's Day, about two weeks away now. And, you know, Valentine's Day, outside of the commercial aspects of Valentine's Day, is very much a symbol of love, very much a symbol of affection, very much a symbol of, well, getting busy. So we're going to talk about, in my experience, five guaranteed panty dropper fragrances. That's right, gentlemen. We're talking about fragrances that are definitely going to get the ladies' attention. And ladies, depending on who you're trying to cater to as well, might help you get the, get their attention as well. So first up, I want to do an honorable mention, mention excuse me, before I get into my top five. And my honorable mention is Echelon for Men. This is an honorable mention because I love it. I think it's very sensual and a very aromatic fragrance. However, I don't think it's one where I'll say, in my experience, it's not one that's going to garner the attention of everyone that you think it would when you put it on. This is one where it smells great, you think it'll be a panda dropper, but in my experience, it is not always the case. It's definitely one if you already have your special someone that you know is going down to wear because they will absolutely love it. So that's my honorable mention, Echelon for men. But also, I'm sorry, I forgot the notes. So the notes for this one, you're going to have mahogany, vetiver, and sweet anise. So that mahogany and that woodiness is really going to give a kind of smoky woodiness to it it is it is one that lasts all day and all night and it is one that it's very unique as well so you're not going to smell like anybody else when you wear this one so that is my honorable mention echelon for men by kimberly new york all right so the first fragrance in this list is going to be one that's very familiar to you especially if you listened to the last episode and that is oxford blue from English Laundry. Now, this is a fragrance that a hundred times over, I get a response on. I think that's one of the reasons why I really got to fragrances is because of the response that I received when wearing this when I initially received it so many years ago. Now, with this one, you're going to have top notes of mint, green apple, and lemon, mineral notes of tonka bean, iris, and geranium, base notes of vanilla, vetiver, sandalwood, and moss. This is guaranteed. All I'm saying, look, your lady or ladies 
uh, smell this bad boy, they will definitely, you will definitely get comments, you will definitely get people wanting to get closer to you. This is my experience, obviously. Uh, but it's also, do not get Versace Eros, which it smells similar to. Get this one because it's an EDP, not an EDT. And you can get it at a comparable, if not better, price point than Versace Eros. So my first on the list, again, is going to be Oxford Blue by English Laundry. Next on the list is another one of my favorites. And probably when I first got into fragrances was on everyone's, i.e. all the fragrance reviewers I used to watch back in the day, list for panty droppers. And this one is going to be F Black by Salvatore Ferragamo. With this one, you're going to find top notes of lavender and apple, minerals of black note and coriander, and the base notes of tonka bean and lamp denim. And let me tell you, this one always gets comments and reactions and always get i always get asked what are you wearing you could already see the juices flowing when that question is asked of you i think it's that combination that apple you get that sweetness in the beginning but the calmness of the lavender but the black pepper and coriander really take center stage in the mid notes. And then you have the tonka bean and labdanum really to mellow it out. But the spice from the pepper is still there. And it's such a, a different fragrance than what I see or smell a glada dudes wearing. Even though this one is so cheap. This one is so received so much praise. This is not one I have seen a lot of guys wearing out in the wild so women will definitely take notice if you're wearing f black by salvatore ferragamo the next one on the list is going to be morning chest by wilhelm parfumery now this is a fragrance that's going to be uh, denoted by top notes of bergamot with middle notes of galbanum and leather and base notes of patchouli and black amber now this is one where you get green accord citrus leather aromatics and their patchouli on and really like a fresh spicy as well uh, this is one i was surprised at because when i looked at initial reviews there were many who equated it to uh, another Creed Aventus analog i don't get this as well but the first time i wore this fragrance the reaction that my wife had and asking me what it was because she knew it was one she never smelled on me before. She was very uh, taken aback by the fragrance in a very good way. And even out in the general world, again, it's another one that will get you compliments and gets you questions. Um, and it's someone who is married. Uh, I'm pretty sure that the conversations may have gone slightly differently if i was a single man wearing this fragrance so that is my number three on this list morning chest by wilhelm perfumery now this one is one that lives up to its name this one number four on this list is authentic authenticity excuse me um is an edp from authenticity perfumes and with this one you're going to find Top notes of grapefruit, sweet orange, lemon, and pineapple. So you get a sweet sort of citrusy, but very bright citrusy on the opening. Uh, with mid notes of rosemary, peppercorn, and jasmine. So again, you have that smite spice, much like the last fragrance with the uh, morning chest and also the ferragamo. There's a spice theme here with these last three. And then at the base, you have patchouli, 
cedar and sandalwood and this is a fragrance that it's interesting because it smelled like something but it didn't like it it reminded me of some things i couldn't put my finger on but it smelled unique and the real test was the first time i wore it my spouse came up to me and she was just gradually talking to me and she walked up and left and then came back and sniffed from my chest to my neck and then asked me what was i wearing if you've listened to this podcast you will know that my spouse does not have very visceral responses to the fragrances that i wear and when they do or when she does i should say it is definitely a unique fragrance and something that i would definitely have to put into this panty dropper category and this one i would say i don't really skew too much into age demographics as far as who would wear this but i definitely see this fragrance being for men in general not so much men of a certain age and i also bring that up because of the next fragrance we're going to get into number five and last on this list now the last one on this list again should be no surprise and this one is one that i wear quite often and that is because as the tagline says every man needs innovation so of course i'm talking about none other than ovation for men and with this one you're going to find notes of cardamom tobacco vetiver cashmere wood and bergamot so again with my taste and what i have experienced a lot of my quote-unquote panty dropper fragrances have some similar notes and themes but ovation is one that I would say definitely skews toward the more sophisticated man. I, while I think any man could wear this, this fragrance is such a man that is confident in who he is, such a man that is on his purpose. Like that's what it smells like. And realistically, you're not going to be more than likely be that man that's like that is 21, 22, not to knock my younger brothers, but Thinking back to that age, you're still trying to figure a lot of things out in life. So this what this fragrance smells like. And with that, it projects that compliment, or excuse me, that confidence that really gets a woman's attention. It's like your manly confidence in a liquid form. And this is one, and especially the first time I wore it, and really every subsequent time i wear it there's always a comment from my spouse with how good it smells and how good it smells on me and gentlemen you know when you're a lady or whomever you're dealing with when they see something or smell something they really like it on you you know those eyes that they make and in this case those are the eyes that are made and also i've seen those eyes being made when i'm in public by people who are not my wife now mind you nothing goes past that those eyes i'm not crazy however it's one of those fragrances that it very much lives up to its name and it's it's one of those fragrances where i would think that is different than some of the others except for maybe oxford blue because i can wear that all day every day uh it has a multitude of purposes and situations not just uh for dropping panties as this uh list is all about but it is one that definitely gets a reaction out of ladies a very positive uh intoxicating effect on the ladies so that is my last one for the panty droppers of 2022 and all of these are going to be relatively uh modestly priced i should say um morning chest is the only one that you're gonna that's going to cost you some money that's in these fragrance i feel like a bottle is about 
250 225 um oxa blue uh, retails for about 100 bucks you can find it a lot cheaper a whole lot of places um echelon for men to buy a a larger size bottle is 101 i think a 1.7 bottle is 75 and you get a travel size of 0.5 ounces for um 35 bucks so again trust me i have a travel size that lasts you a long time especially if you're not spraying it every day um authenticity you can get i believe is a 60 ml bottle right now for 45 bucks it's on sale that is normal price 75 but still it's worth the price and then ovation for men a 60 ml bottle runs i believe it's 80 or 85 bucks so all of these except for morning chess uh, can be found for under 100 and three of the five you can really find them for at least at the present time under 50 so all of these are going to be really good additions to your collection but more importantly with valentine's day coming up fellas let me tell you get your smell game smell game good up or smell smell good game up ladies are taking notice ladies take notice of fragrances you get yourself a good fragrance especially if you're trying to change it a little bit for valentine's day i guarantee you definitely get a new and welcome reaction out of your lady or the ladies depending on what you're trying to do um so that's my take on the panty dropper fragrances for this year and with that we're going to close this episode out with the closing of the Webster Style podcast, not just Webster Style, but the Sartorial and Geek podcast by Webster Style. Where of course, we'll talk about bow ties, comic books, and everything in between. Not too much bow tie talk, but a whole lot of fragrance and a whole lot of comics. This podcast, you can find us on the web at WebsterStyle.com. Find us on the internet of Twitter at Webster Style. Find us on Instagram at Webster Style and at Sartorian Geek. And again, drop us an email at info at WebsterStyleMagazine.com. Thank you again for joining us. Thank you for joining me. Remember, stay safe out there. I mean, I can change. I thought, never mind, forget it. I'm a Jenny, Jenny, Miffany, Muffin, and Finicky when it comes to the killing spree, aka that's an ensemble. Are you the enemy if you're not defending the presence of Millie in the vicinity without a bow tie? Okay, I might have went over the edge. Besides, I really let them clothes on them legs and thighs. Need to get strong, we can lift them to the sky. The party starts at 12. We got a little time, time, time to get it on. And no fact, I'm the type of person on. And after that, take a picture with the I'm choosing what we own. Now it was Tree Green Tuesday. Had to be Bowtie Thursday. Had to be. White Wednesday? Uh, I don't. Well, I know last time. Well, I wore polka dot. You didn't wear. Oh, I miss million them heels killing them. But I'm sure it's a Thursday. Bowtie Thursday. Pasta cream in your heels looking sharp. They acting like you don't know the rules up in the workplace. Must I remind you it was till on your birthday? Don't get me wrong, I think we killed in the birthdays. And you picked the hell of fit for the church day. Let's say you picked the risk game for it. Now you got the floor filled with bras that you purchase. Pick a color scheme that can match a very corset.